Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Rafa Nadal has his sights set on the U.S. Open, but only one match in preparation since Wimbledon as he went out last night, late last night, to uh, Borna Chorich in a three-setter. We'll talk about that. We will discuss uh, Novak Djokovic's entrance into the United States, or perhaps lack thereof, we will see. Uh, Obviously, his ability to play the U.S. Open in jeopardy. And uh, lastly, Serena Williams has uh, announced her retirement and uh, a lot of uh, parallels to to the big three, certainly as her era, uh, very close in age to Roger Federer and her era, certainly uh, a part of the big three era. You really can't separate it. So uh, excited to be back for a good show. Let's start with... uh, Nadal losing, however, um, I guess how, uh, what were your expectations, Amy, for Nadal coming into this tournament? I thought if he's playing that he could potentially win the tournament. Now it turns out that Chorich is playing well because he won his next round match. I saw some, you know, good things, very Rafa-like from Rafa, but double faulting on set point against is very un-Rafa-like, and that kind of gives me pause, but in his post-match press conference, he said, look, I know what I have to do to get myself ready, and I'm, I'm tentative because this is a tricky injury. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sold that he's completely recovered yet. Well, he only got one week of playing sets, like real match play, hard match play before Cincinnati. So he really was on the shelf, as we suspected, for a long time after Wimbledon. Not 100%, I think, is is likely, you know, is, is pretty feasible. Uh, Joel, what did you make of, of Rafa's level? Yeah, that was uh, tough for him. I mean, he was seemed in control at points in that first set. It had a couple of set points, and... Uh, yeah, not not as sharp as he'd hoped to be. And of course, Nadal, such a homework guy. You know, Nadal knows he always needs to put in matches. I, I did a little research and I looked at the, the four years Nadal won the U.S. Open. He played at least five matches in the Canada-Cincinnati combo. He played at least five. And one year, in 2013, he won them both, played 10 matches. And he's very much a believer. It's almost like he feels he's not paying respect to the game if he's not getting in matches. So it's a little unfortunate for his U.S. Open journey. And he looked, you know, and Porch himself coming back from injury, he's beaten Nadal in Cincinnati before. And uh, tough one. That said, it's been Canada, the tournament that he's had the success at. And Cincinnati, since winning it in 2013, it's been a real struggle there. Those courts are lightning quick. And I also thought this just about the matchup. And surely Nadal was not at his best and that had a lot to do with it. But Chorich with that two-hander is is part of though is that perfect prototype. If if Rafa's not at his best and his cross-court forehand lands short, Chorich is one of those righties, and there aren't that many of them, 
who is going to absolutely do huge damage with that two-hander. That's right. I mean, the two-hander is such a game-changing shot in the game over the last 50 years, and even more in the last 20 years, the ability to drive it down the line. I mean, we always know a shot like that can, the shot can hit, a good shot can hit cross-court. But when you can terminate rallies down the line with a backhand, now you're now Nadal is kind of moving left and right. We know, we know, we have a show about someone who does that really well. <laughs> right. <laughs> Did you guys you know, see my should... tweet? No, go ahead, Gil. What so was it? So I, uh, when I was a ball boy in 2013, I did a, a juniors match between Tommy Paul and Borna Chorich. I mean, they were babies at this point. Tommy Paul had blonde hair. And I was in the back, and I remember looking at Chorich's backhand, and I was like, oh, my God, this is special. This is <laughs> something. And I told uh, the crew member, one of my teammates on the ball crew, after the match, I go, this Chorich guy, his backhand, it's like Djokovic. And he totally laughed in my face. He was like, all right, buddy, let's calm down. And uh, I feel like uh, nine years later, I think <laughs> I think that was a pretty good take. And that didn't deserve a laugh in my it, face. It was you. It was a pretty good take three years later when he beat Nadal in Cincinnati. I was already making these up. So you were, you were on it, Gil. And wherever your other crew guy is, he's not the <laughs> one on the show right now. Okay? It's us. You know, before the Nadal fans just cry in their beverages, um, I will say that Nadal has won the French Open many, many times without much prep at all. Um, so he he himself said after the match, like, I've got to get my matches in. I, I need match work. I need match work. But he's kind of disproven his own point that he can he is capable of playing himself into a tournament um with the early rounds as his serving as his match prep agreed and and you know we we talk about that the format of the majors all the time right with the best of five and 32 players are seated and 128 players are in the draw so like players who don't even come close to qualifying for masters 1000s are you know that's likely the caliber of player that nadal gets round one well, let's uh, read also his last, uh, what was his last match? His last time he played at the U.S. Open. Last time he played at the U.S. Open? Yeah. He won it. That's right. So he's here to pick up where he left off. There's <laughs> strange times in tennis these last few years, huh? Yeah, in definitely. The pandemic and injuries. And Nadal, Nadal um, his, his greatness isn't based on some of the, um, you know, different slams he's had he's had injuries and things have happened but at least at least he did at least he wasn't significantly injured you know at least the injury didn't seem to crop up it's just a question of how it's mending and i guess we'll see i, I don't think he's going to take a wild card into winston salem <laughs> no <laughs> hey uh, another positive on that note we're not talking about the foot that ablation surgery that he yeah. had after roland garros seemed to work really well yeah, at least it's holding up now. I mean, that that thing can rear its ugly head at any given time, just when we think that he's on a roll. But, you know, just in terms of the surface, I think that one thing that's sort of not in his favor is that I would I, I personally would rather have more warm up on a faster court on a hard court than I would need on clay because it's really about reflexes because the speeds at this level are such that you, if you're going to be playing on a faster surface, and I know that 
that the US open surface is um, slower than say Australia, but it is faster than clay. So I think if you're gonna be playing on a faster surface, you really do need matches. You know, I know this stuff, this is like an eternal dialogue around these things because I actually think and maybe because I'm a hardcore bias person, I think, well, gee, I don't know, I would think clay because of movement and fitness and racket head speed. You know, so it's one of these questions like this eternal question among coaches, is it easier to take a clay court player and teach them how to play well and hard versus hard court player teach them how to play well on clay? And as the, a lot of teachers tell me, it's just hard. Yeah. It's hard yeah. yeah. No matter I mean, what. I, I personally make the switch all the time. Like I, I had a hard court tournament a couple of weeks ago and we only had access as a team to clay courts mainly. And I can tell you, it did me no favors, like, because your stroke changes, you know, you have all that time for your backswing and, and you hit top a certain way on clay. And, and when you switch to a really fast court, which is where this tournament was played, you got to really shorten up the backswing and, and things are different. The ball bounces different. And in this case, guys, the ball is different. It's that one outlier ball that, um, some players really do not like. But also, you know, you're, well, you're, you're practicing on clay, and that means a play on hard. That's very demanding. You know, that's yes. a thing than having. I mean, Nadal hasn't played a clay court match, we assume, in in two months, right? Yes. So, yeah, so unless, you know, unless, I, I assume if he went home, he would be practicing on hard court. Um, if he he's went got, home to Spain. Yeah, he's got everything. He's got every surface. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but first of all, just Darren Cahill said something super interesting uh, a couple of weeks ago when Sinner was playing in Umag on the clay, the post Wimbledon mm -hmm. clay, Amy, that you hate. Oh, yeah. Darren Cahill, crazy. Darren Cahill said uh, it's actually good for players to, to get some of those clay court reps after grass because they get back in shape. They play some long rallies and it helps the fitness. Uh, so I think there's like two elements. There's the physical part and then there's the the pace of play where you have to, it's more of a technical thing. Um, and all that is interesting, but it's funny that you bring up the conditions because the U S open sped up in 2020. Nadal last played in 2019. Obviously it's been his more successful hardcore slam, uh, compared to Australia by, by quite a distance. But now I feel like the U S open plays a lot more like Australia in the speed of the court. So something to, to keep in mind all this all this like we're all this like put and that yeah all this analysis all these kind of things and i i i guess to me the thing is i, I for nadal's sake i wish he'd gotten at least three matches in cincinnati just yeah. one one is a tough go would have yeah. been ideal no doubt one other thing before we move on is that nadal could have become world number one and been the number one seed at the u.s open does that matter at all amy no, I think as long as he's in the top four, he's fine. Um, now, does the year in number one matter to Rafa at this point in his career? In other words, is he, you know, looking to move up in the rankings at this point in his career? I think he's almost seeded that one to Djokovic, you know, it's just, it's really about collecting the slams and winning tournaments now. And I don't think he ever even contested that one with either of those guys. I think he, I don't think he was even like, it wasn't even like thinking that in the Roger years is the Novak years. I don't think he was ever had his eye on those kind of 
on a prize that way. I don't even think that's how he goes about thinking about racking up things. And I think certainly this year, he's just concerned with being healthy, playing match, covering, next one. I mean, kind of that. It's, it's funny. There's a funny thing a, a, a pro said to me once. He said, it's so funny. You start off as a kid, you play tennis, you're playing tennis and you're just playing tennis. And then you, you get good and you become a pro, a junior in college and become a pro and you get caught up in winning and outcomes and ranking points. And then you reach this other stage of your career, sort of like that back end, like the golfer in the last four or five holes. Just, and then you're just playing tennis. Yeah. That's where Roger <laughs> comes now. full circle. I think we saw that a lot. This We saw that with Roger in 2017 when he made his grand comeback when he won the Australian. I'm just here playing tennis. I've, I've, the resume is pretty much what the resume is. The rest is kind of bonus and that's pretty good. And I think that's what Rafa kind of happened to him this year. I'm glad to be healthy. I'm glad I can play. Let's just enjoy all this and carry on. Completely agree with that. And it's, uh, you know, one thing that I don't think any of us would be that surprised to see is if Rafa shut it down after the US Open. He's done that so many times. And I just think he's had so many injuries and he's so, based on history, doesn't enjoy playing inside uh, that I just, I don't, I don't think he's so he is, that he is committed much. to the labor cup. He is committed to the labor cup. Yeah. And that's going to be a lot of fun for everybody involved. So good point. But it shut it down for a minute. I thought you meant retiring. I thought you meant that I was thinking, but you just mean the year I, for I the think, year. I yeah. think a lot of the top players have always even if they play to a certain degree, their ambition is where it is. I mean, Pete, Pete Sampras is an exception. In 98, he wanted to be number one in the world for a six-fate year, and he just went full-on that fall European. He's playing Vienna, playing Paris Indoor to get those points, and he did. But mostly, I think that fall is, I call that, that's the point safari. That's the time when other players can gather their points and, and do well. And, I mean, no one's going to look back at the fall indoor and say, this guy was great, but he never won that fall indoor tournament. It's all fun. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we talk about this every time when the ATP finals roll around. I like that event a lot. I, I think Me too. Me I, too. Do, I call it, I say, I've written articles about those events. Um, Super Bowl or All-Star Game? In and I've always said somewhere in between. Yeah. Occasionally it becomes a Super Bowl. Like the year I think Murray played Novak for the number one ranking. That's kind of Super yeah. Bowl-like. Mostly, though, I'm not saying there's a dunking contest. Well, it's certainly not the Super Bowl. I mean, nothing really compares to the Super Bowl. Um, We we have four Super Bowls in this sport, really. But it is pretty neat when the two guys meet in the finals to determine the year and number one ranking. Yeah, I think it's a great event. I I really do. I love the event, so I like the compressed and round robin. brings its own other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're we're, we're a few months ahead of ourselves. I love the next gen finals too. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Djokovic now. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of '90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. As the clock is ticking down, and uh, I mean, it is certainly at this point uh, getting getting dire in terms of waiting for a policy change in the United States that would allow non-citizens to uh, to enter the country unvaccinated. Now, there was a recent CDC guideline change for citizens of the United States, right, Amy, that that basically said, well, we're we're going to treat in terms of uh, protocols and you know, fill me in um, on on all the missing pieces. Yeah, for vaccinated, unvaccinated citizens. We are going to follow kind of the same order, uh, but that doesn't apply to non-citizens, right? Correct. That being said, the the headline, the top line there was that they were changing policies, um, which they have done throughout the pandemic. I mean, remember, like just suddenly they kind of said you don't have to wear a mask on an airplane anymore um you know and and really they the cdc came out with this guidance in advance of american children going back to school and they're saying you don't have to do six feet distancing and all this stuff but they did make the remark that we will be updating travel guidance as well so, um, and, and we will be updating it to come more in line with the, these new um, guidances about six feet distancing and that kind of thing that we have, have just come out with. So, you know, we've been waiting um, to see how the new guidance for travel is updated and to whom it will apply. Um, but something that I want tennis fans to understand because we as tennis fans get in our own little tennis bubble and we don't realize that there's like other industries and other sports and many, many other people that are relying on this guidance. Um, they're not going to pay attention to one professional athlete and um, adjust the guidance based on one guy. We have so many bigger, more important fish to fry in this country than whether Novak is allowed to play in a tennis tournament. Although I have argued that I think it would be good and, and I wish that they had made an exception. Um, but it's really going to have the timing of when they come out with the guidance is really going to have nothing to do with with Djokovic. Yeah, well said. Um, I mean, whoever is in charge of of the CDC, there's no uh, there's no guarantee that that person has ever heard of Novak Djokovic. You know, I, government major here um, because it's been talked about in political circles there have been some high profile politicians including texas senator ted cruz who sure. have brought djokovic and they've made it a political issue i'm sure that it's come up in meetings or something like that but just today the cdc announced that it is overhauling itself it is doing an entirely new structure for itself. So again, Djokovic is probably the last thing on their minds right now. Although it's just to put a fine point on it, it's not actually the CDC that makes the decision. It's um, 
any number of US government agencies. It could come from the president, Department of Homeland Security, um, Department of State, uh, Department of Transportation, any one of these agencies, but um, it will would be based on CDC guidance. Sure, thank you for that clarification. Do you think that this would be something made effective immediately if it happened? Or do you think it would be effective in two, three weeks, four months? Right? I think it would be immediate, just like the lifting of the mask mandate was. I mean, okay. I was I, I was almost literally on a plane when that thing was lifted and it the pilot came on and said it took effect immediately. There you go. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I could see that being something logistically a little bit challenging to snap a finger and say, okay, right away. And there might have to be some preparation there. I'm not sure. Well, that's true. Yeah, it appears that Novak, uh, we won't be seeing him. You know, I'll miss that. I mean, it's just in the mm -hmm. bigger, in the tennis bigger picture, it shows all these complications about understanding what these last few years have been. And I know that's just tennis and the world has got bigger stuff. But again, yeah, I'll just miss the chance to see him play the US Open. Right. I'll, miss yeah. him, I'll miss seeing him play and compete. Yeah. And he's so he brings so much to the game. I mean, it's just, I was just like, again, we were talking about porch and backhands. I was just talking to someone else a player about what this, what we like about each of these three and what we gain from each of these three. And we're going to talk about this as long as the show goes about what they've each brought in their different ways and their different playing styles and all of that. And so to not see him there. And since we know Roger's still sidelined, that's, uh, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate for our enjoyment of tennis. Absolutely. Uh, Serena Williams announced that she intends to retire and she intends to play the U.S. Open. And we all said one plus one equals two. And I believe we're correct on this, that the U.S. Open will be uh, Serena Williams' last tournament. She announced her retirement in a Vogue self-written essay, which I just thought was so perfect, so Serena. And uh, I don't know, it, it has my mind going a lot of different places. You know, we've... we've talked about how will our three end up retiring? How will they decide to go about that? It, it just feels like Serena is the first domino to fall because honestly, when it came to the, the stardom of, of this, you know, this era, Serena is, is right there with our three as you know, the, the major figures in the sport. I dare say she might be bigger she, as far as global popularity and significance. Um, all these cases can be made, but her, her impact, her significance, her, her great tennis, yeah, and even the, the creative way with the, the, the great picture with her and her daughter uh, in, the, in the Vogue story. And that was very, very nice and very thoughtful. And, and she gave a lot of thought. The piece talked less about, she didn't like to use the re retire. She likes to talk about, it's about her transition and where she's moving to in her, in her career and her, her venture capital world. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting, this whole aspect of kind of the, the orchestration of the exit because it used to be more or less the body told you it still does but it's not entirely that so now there's these other factors and these other things and how does it happen when you do it? and i was talking with some friends about uh us open exits of icons you know chris everett announced it in sports illustrated cover story just before the tournament that year and she won she got to the quarters and she plays dina garrison one day and she just a nice wave and it was kind of you know subdued they didn't have the whole um on court you know a whole ceremony per se and different people do it different ways andre agassi uh, that was 17 years later you you i don't think you're quite ball boying in 06 yet where you go 
No. Okay. That he got, he took the microphone from Mary Jo Fernandez and gave an incredible speech. Yeah. So now we'll see how, what might happen with Serena. I just thought the Vogue essay was incredibly thoughtful and real, very real. And I like how she said, if I were a guy, I would not be doing this as in retiring. And just what came through to me was um, she really doesn't want to retire. Okay. She's being dragged from tennis, kicking and screaming. And it, it's really the bottom line. I mean, yeah, there's the part about the venture capital and all that, but the bottom line is she wants to uh, extend or expand her family. And because of, you know, whatever factors, whether it's the complications that she had with her first pregnancy or other factors, she doesn't feel that she can travel the world and train like she has to train and um, try to have another child. So I thought that was very real and relatable. And I'm so glad that she didn't hold back and just sort of saying what the real deal is or dancing around it or whatever. And um, I, to me, she is perfectly imperfect because, you know, she says that she always tries to be perfect in everything that she does. She always thinks she can win. She wants to win. She wants to be perfect. She wants to do it right. And she got that from being Venus's younger sister. And um, for all her flaws and, and all the highs and lows of her career, um, I think she has, for me, always just been incredibly real and um, inspirational. I think one of the things that Serena said that would be would be true, uh, even even for Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, although uh, they are less concerned about having children, uh, she said, "I either want to have two feet in tennis or two feet out," and I think um, it comes down to it comes down to if she's ready or if she has an interest right now in putting two feet in tennis. And I think she's making the right decision because she knows that she can't do that. And, and we see how much losing stings her and how unacceptable losing is to her. It would be crazy for her to put herself through continuing her, her tennis career. So I came away from reading her essay feeling like she is in an incredible place in life. And, uh, and that, and that it's, uh, Although we'll miss watching her play that, you know, she really has come to a point where where her career is coming to uh, a very, I would say, uh, peaceful close and, and a close that that feels right. And the timing feels right. How about for a standpoint of uh, three, the highlight of her playing Hoffman Cup versus Roger a few years ago. That was pretty fun to see um, them. These two yeah. great, great players on the same court and enjoying being with each other and playing. I and mean, that was great. That was a really great moment. Roger yeah, no. has always treated her with the utmost respect. And uh, you're right, Joel, that was fun. There were a lot of good laughs and stuff. And Roger always knows the right thing to say in those situations. <laughs> and uh, that was, you know, her serve speeds at that time were, um, maybe not at the peak, but they were still really, really up there. And so that was a really fun Hopman Cup. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, 
New York, one last ride. Um, we will uh, we will be there, which uh, I I feel like it's it'll be the most significant thing that I've ever witnessed. Uh, certainly credentialed, and and I think that might be true as a ticketed fan as well. So uh, I'm certainly looking forward to that, and just grateful for uh, what we've gotten out of out of uh, Serena. So uh, moving forward, U.S. Open draw will come out. Uh, we will be in a little bit of, of travel flux, but we do believe we'll be able to, to come up with the show before the main draw, uh, fingers crossed on that. And then uh, from New York, we will be uh, following most likely Rafa Nadal's trek through the draw. If something changes, Novak Djokovic uh, is able to come to New York, looking very unlikely right now. Of course, we would love, love, love to see that. That'll do it for this episode of three. We hope you remember that we're available on all podcast platforms. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And we will see you next time on the next episode of 3.